Mark had a little mishap with his mic. Um, but tonight, so we're just having, a, this is a dinner party, so I'm trying to get Nolan over for a while. I actually wanted to pick his brand around goat hunting because I may, uh, may I may pull a hunt together for um, February to do. I got drawn for the... This the, year? This year, yeah. Oh, no, no I've way. Got a, i got that goat drawn in my back pocket, which I'm, I haven't... I haven't really thought about doing that hunt because I've still I've been kind of kind of a hunt rich this year. Did you got the the horseshoes this year? I know I got the bison draw <laughs> followed yeah, up by the we'll, goat. We'll draw. have to talk later about who you have to you know bribe and how much it is. Oh, for the <laughs> for the LEH. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know that's a whole other I, story. Um, it's it's actually he's a good good friend of mine. Russian. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually the statistician, but no, no, I've tried for years. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. tried for years offering bribes because it doesn't work. It's a computer; you can't bribe a computer. Yeah. Um, No, um, but anyways, we're just having a dinner party, and then anyway, so and and the good thing about inviting Mark over is that he like comes over with like half the kitchen from Savio Bope's restaurant, and uh, so we're gonna. What are we having tonight, Mark? Um, We're doing halibut. Yeah. So, so my contribution. Yeah, yeah, my contribution is pulling the halibut out of the freezer. You show up with a bunch of fried ingredients. So halibut. What do we have in the halibut with? Um, do some hot, uh, hot olive sauce, and I bought some nice cabbage. Not okay. a very luxurious ingredient, but mm. oh no, the, I, I like cabbage. I think it's one of the most underrated uh, oh. vegetables. Yeah, okay. cabbage. Cabbage. I'm gonna do cabbage with leeks. Oh, nice. Mm. Okay, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And we had. Um, I've been playing with uh, salmon tartare lately as a, a new way to eat up my salmon in the freezer, and then so we had two 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 tartars. There was sort of the the. Asian kick there, and then there was the more of Italian kick. Nolan, which one did you prefer? Truthfully, my palate's not that great. I just like them both. Both of these are beautiful, and I'm going to plead the fifth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I appreciate that. How about you, Mark? Uh, I like the the European flavored one, the one with the dill and the cucumber. Yeah, yeah. And it's the smoky olive oil in there that was kind of made that one, I think. It was that was my favorite, too. I think a little less citrus too. I think the the the, the Asian one had more too a little too much lime in there. It almost made it kind of almost like a ceviche than a tartare. Anyways, that's what we're doing: hanging out, making food, and uh, so we're going to talk about miss and deer here. And there was I've had this conversation a few times, kind of with Nolan. One of the conversations we've had Nolan before is sort of talking about like you, you've actually provided a bit of perspective on long range shooting, which is something that I've haven't really been. Um, there's a lot of discussion around long range shooting, and, and yeah, of course, and, and we've had some good talks about that. So I think that'll come up a little bit because it's definitely one of the reasons why you miss deer. But maybe we'll start like um, with a missing deer or missing animal story. If, uh, just launch right into there's it. A lot there, <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, like I'll be real. Like, like my hunting partner Jeff Horsfield, you know, he said that like you know Dylan Jesus like. You've missed more deer than most guys see in a lifetime. Like, figure your shit out. Like, yeah. Like, and so, like, I mean, I'm not. I have. I have no excuses here. And, and even this year, like, I had. I mean, I, I got, two beautiful deer in the freezer, both of which, I missed on the first shot. So like, it's nothing. Like, it's not something that repairs easily, you know, like this issue. But so I'll, I'll get to what I'll, I'll, I'll be able to pull the story out of my Rolodex, but. If you if you if you if you're comfortable, Nolan, you want to do the honors. Oh, I got a few. Yeah. Do you want me to start with the? Give this, me a miss. Yeah. Give me, uh, give me a miss. Yeah. Let's okay. So um, this is this is probably the most the most relevant one here, and I've missed I don't even know how many animals over the years, um, but most of them, interestingly enough, most of them have been deer, 
And most of the like buck fever in quotes that I've ever had has been around deer um, versus, well, it's pretty much like deer, black bear and mountain goats is what I hunt. But with mountain goats, um, I've never had, only shot two of them, but I've never had buck fever around that. And both of them were long shots. Like both of them were what I would consider, you know, like you, these are shots that you have to very carefully, um, very carefully work through the situation on them and decide like, Hey, is this actually, you know, just because I can point the gun at it doesn't mean that I can kill it kind of thing. So they were both longer shots, no buck fever around that, but all the buck fever I've had has been around deer and it's all been under a hundred yards, typically 60 and under yeah. is when it's like, you know, basically everything just melts down. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, specifically this year I had drawn a Roosevelt elk tag and in BC, um, that's sort of a once in a lifetime tag. And Mark was actually on that hunt with us. And, um, you know, I'd never hunted Roosevelt elk. Dylan had before, I think multiple times. Uh, I've been on two. two yeah. You've been yeah. on a couple, yeah. um, which is a couple more than I'd been on and more than anyone I knew had been on. Um, so I was picking your brain quite a bit through the inreach during the hunt. And then I missed it. I missed an elk on the second day. Uh, and it was a shot that was a gimme. Like essentially, like most, you know, fairly competent hunters would consider a 150-yard shot with no brush. Uh, you know, the animal's not running, it's not walking, it's not moving in any way, shape, or form. You'd have the time to get down on one knee and make a shot. Most people would consider that a gimme shot. Um, at least like that it's spent in as much time as I have in the bush. Most people would be like, hey, that's like... You know, it's an elk size target. It doesn't have the elk size target. Definitely, you don't helps, have to yeah. hit three inches. You have to hit the lungs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a two foot. Yeah. yeah, 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 like two foot by three foot. And anyways, I I missed like fully fully missed and uh, and it rattled me like quite a bit, yeah, a lot. Uh, but I you know and then talked to you about it and you gave me some really sage advice there, which was which was super helpful and in, in getting my head back together because. You know that's the biggest thing with anything is that once you start to yeah. once you start to let your your mental state degrade and you start to beat yourself up, then you just can't move forward in a mm -hmm. you know intelligent way. So okay, so let's talk about maybe so situation. Just lead us up to the situation. How did you how did you find yourself into uh, the situation where there's an elk at 150 yards from you? Yeah, so we would we had been covering an overgrown um, logging road. It was an old, old valley. It had been logged, I don't know, I'm going to guess off the top of my head, maybe 30 years ago. Uh, the outfitter had opened up the logging road enough for quads, but other than that, it was it was pretty much overgrown. Yeah. Um, so we're just, for context, we're talking about like the west coast of British Columbia, up yeah. in one of the fjords. It's like, it's it's some of the thickest... It's thick and steep. steep. It's temperate rainforest. Temperate rainforest. Yeah. And then it's regen too because they've logged the shit out of it. Yeah. So so it's basically everything that grows after, grows really well in a logging slash in, in a rainforest. Yeah. Now, mind you, the bottom of that was actually, some of that was a little bit closer to old growth. Okay. Um, so it was a little, it was it was better. because It I've was bigger. Of, I don't know, maybe yeah. like 60 year old trees. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Down but low. Yeah. I've and hunted a lot of regen on the west coast of Vancouver Island that's like you know, three feet apart and it's mm. just impossible. Yeah. But this, this was actually awesome. And, um, 
you know, a little side note, but you were the one telling me that the elk actually alter the landscapes and they browse out all the undergrowth yeah. and they really open up the, the vegetation. Yeah, the understory, yeah. And that was one thing that I found. I don't know if you noticed that, but everything felt like it was so much more open than, you know, like when you're fly fishing up the Squamish Valley or something and it's just tight, thick. Um, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so like it was regen, but but more open than normal, but we were hiking these old logging roads and we'd come out onto this, we were about to come out onto this gravel bar to have lunch and class for goats because we were trying to get Mark a goat. And, um, you know, before we walked out onto the gravel bar, one of the guys in the hunt said, hey, we should, uh, you know, Nolan, you get in front. Adam had told me that because he had, you know, he had once shot an elk on a gravel bar like that. And I think it's one of those things where that gets ingrained in your brain and you're yeah. like, hey, yeah, yeah. this situation happened before. No. It might happen again. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Uh, and just, yeah, oddly enough, he's like, hey, get in front, get ready, whatever. And I'm kind of like, okay, whatever. And I walk out onto the gravel bar, basically clear the brush line, and there's a herd of cows staring at me. Um, and I'm just basically panic mode. And, uh, and yeah, and I knew there would be, at that time of year, I knew there would be a herd bull with them. Um, and I had a good reason to believe it would be a very large herd bull with them. So I kind of, I'm going to make it sound like it was calmer than it was, but I basically worked out to the side after telling all the guys to stay down low. Well, you got like a film crew with you too, right? Like a, yeah. One guy with a camera. Yeah. But, but Mark was with us cause we were trying to go find goats for Mark. You know, it was very, it was the second day of the hunt. Mark was with us, uh, two other buddies, a buddy of mine that we put in for, we were doing a film around it, so there was, yeah. It was a, I like how you say you told us to get down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it was, around, no, it, it was like, more like me screaming, like, get the F down. Get the F down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this seem like it was more calm than it was. It was like yeah, a full-blown. That was like the first went, type of bug fever, right? I went oh, flat on the gravel bar. Dude, it was like uh, Mark is showing the Superman pose right now. Yeah, blackout mental breakdown. Yeah. Um, but anyways, got out further onto the gravel bar because the cows had started, you know, filtering off into the into a trail back into the timber, and uh, I'd seen the, this bull and and uh, and frankly, like you know, in hindsight, I shouldn't have taken that shot, and I know that, and I knew that at, right after it happened, I was like, Ooh, that's like. Not because it's not because of the situation for the setup, because of your mental... not because of the distance, because I've made shots like I've made two hundred yard shots off the knee before, mm -hmm. um, and been one like clean kill, dead on the spot. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've I've, it, but it's such a situational thing, right? And you know that because you've hunted for longer than I've been alive, almost. Jesus but, Christ, that's <laughs> No, but, but you know what I mean, right? Like it's so situational. There's yeah. times where a 200 yard, you know, a 200 yard shot off your knee is hundred percent ethical. Yeah. And there's times when a 60 yard shot off your knee isn't. Yeah. And it's, it's, you can't just give a, a strict number on that. It's so situational. So anyways, in this case, like I missed the elk and, um, and, and it was one of those things where, yeah, my, it was like my mind just. It was like everything melted and I was, I remember like trying to let the crosshairs settle in as I was squeezing the trigger basically. Yeah. Which is like, you know, not what you should be doing, but. So explain that a little bit more, like settling in, what does that mean to you? So basically, you know, your, your heart rate is so ramped up that your crosshairs, generally they make loosely a figure eight pattern yeah. um, with your heart rate. 
but the crosshairs, the reticle of the scope uh, is moving, you know, back and forth kind of in a, in a horizontal figure eight, like from like, let's just say it's from left to right. If you're a right-handed yeah. shooter where it's going to rise to the right and then sweep down, but it'll sure. be in, in a figure eight. So, 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 but with respect to the target itself, like, are we talking about a figure eight over its heart? Or are we talking about a figure eight going over its ass and then over its antlers and then? I'm back talking down? about like a figure eight outside of its body entirely into the ether <laughs> and then back into <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, back into the yeah, river yeah. rock and then back over yeah. its body. I know. And all you're about just that. trying to time it. I know all about that. Right? Yeah. Which for certain people who have those skills, like that's that's what you do. Well, and I think this is this is. In, I mean, the, I remember Jenny P came back from a hunt and she said. She was in a stand, and a, and a white-tailed buck stood there in the shooting alley of the stand, and she had their crosshairs on it, and she's going to shoot it. And, and she came, and, and, and I said, she came out to camp without the deer. I said, well, why didn't you shoot it? She's like, well, the crosshairs never stopped moving. I couldn't get the crosshairs to stop moving. Yeah, of course. They never stopped moving. Like, well, but sometimes they do. Well, they they get the movement just gets more and more subtle. Yeah, your figure eights get smaller, or that yeah. your, your breath and the pass over yeah. the vitals get smaller. But like, I don't think it's. I mean, without, I, ha I have had like a couple. I, where I said I think it was before we started recording this. Uh, I shot two goats, and they were at a distance that was like what I would consider super long. Some people would consider that medium range, but what I would consider super long, and both of those was. Dead steady, like no movement whatsoever. There was no um, buck fever in that moment. I had the time to dry fire a dozen times yeah, yeah. and adjust my adjust my position, adjust my form, everything like that. Um, but outside of that, yeah, usually you know you've got movement. Yeah, under most field conditions, where yeah. like that's we'll come back to that long shooting piece because that that piece is where where I had the kind of an aha moment when we talked about that, which which that preparation component. But so, anyways, elk didn't go down and. No, and then you know we crossed the river. Uh, how many? How, you shot twice. Twice, yeah. Twice, yeah. Okay, um, what was it, shot what, twice. What was the second shot? Was he still standing broadside? Nah, he was. He was moving. Okay, moving into the timber. So was yeah, it, yeah, it was a full blown what yeah. I would consider a mental breakdown. Yeah. Um, and 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 yeah, I didn't feel good about it at the time. I think that's one thing. I'm not an excellent shot, but I've shoot enough to know when I've made good shots, then to enough to know like when I can call them. Um, and, and that was one thing that I remember you guys were like, you know, trying to be super supportive and like, ah, oh, yeah, man, he'll be down just in, inside the timber, all this kind of stuff. And yeah. I was like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> like it just, this one doesn't feel like that. I yeah, just, I don't, uh... it was bad. Um, wow. yeah. And then, you know, crossed the river and. Yeah. Oh, I, I just remember you had your, when you, you had kind of like the crazy, you know, like the crazy eyes kind of afterwards. Yeah. Right. You know, where you just don't really know yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And like. It messed me up, man. Like that was, I think that one, um, you know, in, in part probably because my profession as a guide and stuff and I, and I don't, it's not something, shooting at an animal is not something I take lightly. It's not just something that I'm flipping about like, hey, whatever, I'll just ring a shot off and hope it hits. Um, yeah, so I think there's, there's a lot of negative feelings that get associated with, with missing and then, especially when you know better, when you know that you know better and you're kind of like, hey, that wasn't cool. Like that's, I should be past that point. And you feel like you should be past that point in your hunting career, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I it doesn't mean you are. I just, I just mean like, you know, when you make a, when you make a shot that you in hindsight are looking at it and you're like, well, I know enough to know that I probably shouldn't have taken that shot. That's when you're kind of like, hey, you know, that's not cool.
And on the but other, everyone does it. I mean, and that's well. I mean, there. Everyone. I mean, I. I. Not everyone does it. And that's the. I guess. Like I mean, that's. But I think a lot of people don't take a lot of shots because they just. Don't yeah. Feel comfortable. Yeah, that's fair. And and I. But I, I mean, I've met one guy that like swears that he's never missed an animal. And now he's a bit of a pompous asshole too. That that gave me a lot of shit for missing a couple of elk one year, and I and I was in the dumps already, and he kind of like made me feel like I was a piece mm-hmm. of shit. But that's that's a different story. But like. But I guess he's dedicated his like whole hunting career to not missing, and I don't know. I think it's bullshit. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call bullshit. And and you know that being said, you didn't even miss a beat though after after that happened, and we just kept hunting. Like it, it well, didn't you even. Can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the part that I that I actually kind of took away from the whole thing. Ah. Is it like? You know this happened, and and you know we were bummed out for a second, but then we just. Just kept hunting, yeah. Right? Until you know, until the hunt, until the yeah. hunt finished, though. Yeah, gotta remind Mark. He's got the Italian hands that like. Yeah. <laughs> so I try, no, get knocking on the table and touching the mic cable. Um, just keep the Italian hands up here. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I I think the first point that you bring up is probably the most important important point is like your mental, like your mental state when it all comes together. Because there's like there's nothing more exciting than when an animal presents itself and you're in shooting range, and then the the series of steps that happen after that. That like, mm-hmm. what do you what do you do? Like, what do you do right after that? And then and and kind of getting a hold of your emotions, and and put. Like, I had this thick thing I, I've been trying to explain when I teach people in the core class. I talk about this like like especially like just imagine like if you if you've been hunting for four years and you've been putting the time in and finally a legal buck walks out in front of you. And like you're like, oh my god, it's happening, and there it is, a legal buck. Like, just imagine the rush of excitement that comes with that. And oh, totally. Like insane. Like, yeah. like I get a rush out of it, and I've like, like yeah. I, I can I don't even know. Like, it's like even a spike buck that walks out after like hunting for you know thirty years, like it's still exhilarating. And God, you know, if you've never had that, and you've been working so hard for it to come, it doesn't go away. That no. feeling of excitement. And I think, you know, it probably shouldn't. No. Because I think it's, you know, and that was an interesting takeaway I had. I mean, I think your advice, because I messaged a few people when I missed that bull, your advice was probably the most applicable in the moment. Uh, You know, what you told me was loosely like, hey, you got the blunder out of your system. Next time you, you know, next time you get on a bull, you'll be dialed in, you'll be ready, you'll know what to do, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, hey, that's actually like, you know, it seems simple, but it's in the moment. That's like very, you know, very sage advice. But I messaged a few other people, including um, my uncle, who is my hunting mentor. He's the one that got me into it. And he's been hunting, well, he'd be 70 in August. He's been hunting since he was maybe 13 years old, uh, hunting deer since he was 15. And, uh, and he was like, hey, that's... That's why you're here, right? Like the day that you go out and you don't feel that, like why are you doing it? Yeah, yeah. So I like that. I think I think it's always there to an extent, but um, yeah, it's not a good feeling. That's uh, so old Horsefield there that my mentor he says when it comes to talking about that excitement, right? Mm-hmm. He says, well, if you if you don't feel that, then you're not getting your money's worth. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so sure. you might as well give it up because that's really what that's part of the whole experience is that, like that's like. As a human nature, we just we are wired to get switched on when there's that opportunity comes together, 
And like that's oh, yeah. why we're hunters and what kind of brings it all together for us in that moment. But the but the trick is like the trick is for sure and and, and is that like getting a hold of that energy, recognizing it. And I and I go one of the things that is I maybe I'll tell us in a bit of a story, like um when I had the opportunity to shoot my first elk, I was uh been hunting I had it for 27 days the season before for elk and this happened I guess I was in university or something and I had this lots of time off I was, and uh, or I finished university I had lots of time off to goof around and uh, so I had it with my dad for 27 days I think on, on like I think we had maybe three bulls beagle back at us in 27 days of elk hunting and the Kootenays it, was, it wasn't great the next year I got taken to another spot by, by Jeff Horsfield and kind of got put on some pretty good elk country and got did a little more research on, on how to hunt and had some mentorship from Jeff on how to hunt a healthy, a bit more experience and some success. But I was on, I had, I had sort of built up a bit of like, I'd seen a few elk, seen a few five points, had some bugle interactions and then, but we're coming to the end of our trip and uh, I was on my last hunt and I was into this, I was, had, had a bugle, had an elk bugle in back at me. And now it's like a 10 o'clock on the last day because elk bugle and eventually this elk starts coming towards me and it's coming in. And I'm like, well, shit, it's coming in. And all of a sudden, I start seeing like pieces of it through the this, this is where I'm in a poplar grove, and the poplars are you know two three feet apart, fairly mature poplars, and I can see flashes of yellow going back and forth through the through the like, kind of circling around me. I'm like, holy shit, that's an elk, and I can see antlers, and I can look at the antlers, and I get my binoculars, and every once in a while, I like, kind of get a bit of a count on them, and I can kind of see that split on the back, which I'd over the course of hunting. With a, like elk for that past week, I looked at a lot of antlers and looked at mm-hmm. a lot of five points, and this one was different. I could see that it was slightly different. I was like, "Shit, I think that could be a six point." And when he came into view there, I could see, I can count one, two, three, four, five, six. Holy shit, I think it's a six point. So then he comes in a little closer, and he's thrashing brush, and I can get him, and he stops, and I can actually get a good clean look at him, and I count, he's a hundred percent a six point. I'm like, "Holy shit, it's a six point!" Now he's like maybe sixty yards from me, and. I'm kneeling down, I got a tree for a rest, and I put the crosshairs on his chest. He's kind of almost coming straight towards me now. And I put the crosshairs on his chest and I just pull the trigger and yank my gun up in the air and nothing happens. The safety's on, right? Mm. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Because in that moment, I said to myself, I said, Jesus Christ, don't get your shit together here, man. Like, you've worked so hard, like, like, this is your year three of hunting now, 27 days last year, 10 dedicated days. Just, you've got a bull elk at 65 yards screaming at you, mm-hmm. and you're freaking out inside. You're, you're like yanking, like full flinch. I was pulling my gun way out of, yeah. like, I wasn't, there was, I had not even thought about the fundamental principles of shooting the animal in that moment. I was just pointing the gun at it and pulling the trigger, squeezing, closing my eyes and yanking my gun out of, mm-hmm. you know, like classic buck fever. Oh, yeah. So at that moment, I was like, hey, Dylan, I actually physically, in my mind, I had this image of like me grabbing my shoulders, like pulling excited Dylan, putting him to the side, and then like like ethical, dedicated shooter Dylan stepped into the fucking envelope of my body yeah. and settled in to, the, to make the shot and calm my breathing down and put the crosshairs on a vital part of the animal and squeeze the trigger, follow through and watch the bullet go through the elk's heart. And, mm-hmm. and the whole different story. So I try now, 
I kind of have that. I feel that excitement come up on me. And I, and I go, okay, there it is. I see it there. And I grab my shoulders. I put excited Dylan aside. And then I go, competent shooter Dylan takes over. Mm-hmm. And he just steps in there for a bit. And he does the job. And then the excited Dylan comes back in. Yeah, of course. Like, but it's, it's something I almost to visualize it yep. in order to have it happen. Because the excitement is so overwhelming. So. Yeah, I think that's difficult. I mean, like, how long have you been? How long did how long did it take you to really get there? Right, like you've been hunting for what do you say, thirty years? Thirty years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so thirty years. And yeah. and and part of it too is like, you know, the first twenty deer I shot at, they all went like I just I, I, I never really learned how to shoot. Like I just got given a, I was given a gun by my dad when I was you know twelve yeah. years old and went out shooting with them and but no one ever told me how to shoot. Mm-hmm. And when I went hunting, I I you know, I was pretty lucky. My dad supported me to kind of hunt on my own a little bit. When I was a kid, so I just stumbled into a deer, shoot it, fall down, and then see a deer, shoot it, falls down. The first twenty deer all just fell down, and I, and I, I guess it's because I was the type of hunting I was doing. I was quite close to them, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of confidence. And I just, and anyways, the first twenty deer fell down. But then I had a run there where like I missed like quite a few deer in over the course of a few years, and at that point I realized, okay, I'm I'm not doing something right here. And actually, I didn't figure that out. My hunting partners were like, Dylan, what the fuck, you know. Yeah. You missed. What's going on? Yeah, what's going on here? And like, and then that's where I started learning about actually how to shoot animals. But we'll probably come back to some of that here in our discussion. But I'd like to hear from Mark. I know Mark's got a, you have a miss, sort of well, miss. Do I tell a story? Or? You got to tell one story. Okay. You got to tell your, your miss story. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of just fall into a lot of the same category. You know what I mean? You're out and you're, for me, this was my first Big game hunt, I guess you would say, about three years ago, and you know my second day ever hunting, and just luckily enough, came into a basin and and there's there's four deer just you know right in the morning and all those similar things. Um, just got that, just got so excited, you know, and made a whole bunch of errors that led up to me missing. Okay, so what know? is the, what are some of those errors that you made? Um, yeah, you just get so excited, your mind goes blank. I, I didn't range the animal. Um, I didn't, it was a really a steep angled shot. I didn't account for that. I just, I just basically, all the things that I'd, because I was a little bit different than you, right, getting into hunting a bit later. I did all the research. I, I practiced a bunch. I thought I was, I was pretty good. And then when the moment came, just sort of all out the window for me, um, I missed missed you know i was probably about 150 yards downhill missed deer didn't move missed i picked out the, the the biggest of the three deer missed again deer finally figured something was going on um and uh sort of made a run for it and i was lucky enough to run around the top of the basin and, and get kind of one last last shot that i actually i just sort of relaxed and was in a much more natural non-thinking shot and managed to connect but um I think if I would have had a bit more of a, a process, like I, you know, I wanted to talk to to you, Nolan, just about like how you, you know, what would be the difference between like that rushed elk shot and then the calm uh, shot on those goats, you know, where, what's how you know you're talking about dry firing, you're talking about doing all these different things to sort of calm yourself and put you into that state. So I think I, if I would have worked on those things a little bit more, um, were you in a situation? Where the deer didn't know you were there? They didn't know I was there. 
Okay. For my first, well, my first shot, they. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was so surprised that they still seemed to not know anything. You're backpack that. hunting. I was backpack hunting. Fairly remote. Yeah, I was by myself. Like, yeah, yeah way back. And I think um, that's common with alpine animals in places that don't see a lot of pressure. I don't know if that sees pressure. I don't know where you were, but just with what I've seen guiding with goats um, and yeah. sheep, and there's so much like thunder and rock falls. And then avalanches. Oh, you mean like this, the actual reaction to shooting, yeah. yeah. Or the noise. I've had clients miss goats at 300 yards before, bedded down, and the goat jumps up and runs behind a tree and then walks back out and keeps feeding. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Because they're just not yeah. used to... Right. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I think that you'll find, though, I mean, across the board with all ungulates, like, I don't think they actually react to gunshot sound. Like, I don't think it, they don't, they don't go, oh, that's a hunter trying to shoot at me. They yeah. hear a bang. And, and this is like cornfield deer do that. Oh, maybe I've oh, seen people. Okay, know, maybe okay, yeah, that's unique. Okay. shot, you know, in yeah. Eastern Canada. But. Okay, yeah, of course. And you come, and this is interesting because you come from this. You, you have a bit of that cornfield yeah. deer yeah. hunting experience, which is, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm unaware of that. Um, I, I, I do. I mean, for sure, animals spook on the sound, and if it's not right, they spook. But I, I don't know if they, they, cue it up to being something that. Right. It, well, it, this this deer, he didn't. Yeah, it was a mule deer as well, so I don't know. Yeah, I, even um, whitetail. Like I've had, I've shot a whitetail which had been, you know, in cover and, and, it, and mm -hmm. you know, it not worked out or shot, shot a buck and the does are still hanging out there. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily like it's not the same type of sound that they may react to to other sounds that are maybe more natural predation sounds, but nonetheless. Mm -hmm. I think it would be good to to really have okay, a set of steps. And so we're back here, and I will well, make another flag here on the on the change. So, so Mark, you 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 mentioned range was one thing, and you also mentioned that angle. Yeah, I didn't take into account the angle. You know, just a, a bunch of a bunch of errors that that led to me missing. You know, I didn't really. I had a procedure to run through that I didn't run through, um, just because of you know the inexperience and, and the excitement. Totally. Okay. So, yeah. so, so, I, so there's the excitement piece. So, so that brings up a couple other things. That, so we're talking about distance and angle. So we, we, we kind of covered off emotion. I think that's probably the biggest one is that it, it kind of, the emotion kind of spurs on a whole bunch of other bad decision making. Yeah. For, I mean, for me, that was the only time I've had like the really, what you're, you know, what we were talking about earlier with the, the serious buck fever, you know, where you really, you can't really see and your breathing's kind of wacky. At least that was my experience, but Ever since then, I've I've been more I've just made the conscious decision and, you, and like kind of what you said and just to to really focus on your breathing and being calm, and taking your time in that moment and it uh, that seems to work. Right? It's all Calming well, yourself down. It's all well said and done when you've got the distance. Like the difference there is that you you're in a situation where you're you, you know and, and this is for long range shooting is that you can you, you've got that. They don't know you're there I, yet. I've done it at close snow, but even if you can just take, if, even if you can just take the half second to calm yeah. yourself yeah. down, and and remember to just do your, you know, there's just some simple steps that are going to lead to a more successful shot, right? Yeah. Um, and just take even just that half second, uh, you, you're going to connect as opposed to trying to rush it and 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 get something in quickly. That's that's my been been my experience. But in the case of my first year, I just made all the classic mistakes. Yeah. Um, and then it led to me missing. Yeah, yeah, awesome. That's perfect. That, so it brings, I like that. It brings, it bring, kind of ties into the first little bit and kind of leads us into the next one, which we kind of scripted out a couple thoughts. And certainly one is, is distance. And I, and I think that 
I'm, I, I, this is, I wonder if distance, is it, like I have, I don't think I've ever actually missed an animal based on distance, but I've definitely missed an animal based on not preparing for that shot properly. So the question I would ask you is what, um, you know, if I like, let's say in a hypothetical situation, you come into my camp, I'm guiding you. I just met you. You fly into my airstrip. The first question I asked you is, you know, what are you shooting, Dylan? You tell me. Uh, 300 with me. Okay. So what's your comfortable different distance? 150 yards. Perfect. You're like, shit, I got to work real hard for this guy. No, no, that's, <laughs> but that's good. So, so that's no, the thing. Okay, so seriously, so you actually, I, I think for a sheep, I, I would be, I have my 7mm 08, and I think I could shoot out to 300 yards on a rested situation. Yeah. And actually, I should really be saying 250. Okay, so, but my take from, from, uh, from our conversations is how much I know you is that you're someone who's very conservative about your, your shot distance. Um, and that's why I think it's important to kind of preface that conversation when you say you, don't, you haven't missed on distance is that um, I know people who have taken 500-yard shots that shouldn't take 500-yard shots. Yeah. I know people who have taken 500-yard shots that should take 500-yard shots. But you're someone that my experience has, has kind of gleaned me that you're like, hey, I'm, I'm conservative about my shooting distance, and, and that's a good thing. So to say, like, it, it doesn't surprise me that you haven't missed on distance because you don't seem to be someone who would really stretch that and you seem to be very conservative in, in what you're willing to take in that regard. Yeah. Whereas I think that a lot of people, especially in this day and age with, with all of the um, with all the media around, you know, scopes and ballistic reticles and dials and laser rangefinders and all the all the technology that's out there, I think a lot of people get suckered into like, hey, you know, this rifle can shoot five hundred yards, this rifle's accurate to a thousand yards. It's like, hey, look, you know, that's that's fine, but it doesn't mean the operator is. Yeah, that's my issue. Yeah. Is it like I don't really feel that I can hold steady on a target over three hundred yards and yeah. feel like there's not gonna be enough variance either going up or down or back and forth the yeah. rest of the chance of missing or maiming the animal. Like I, I, I am uncomfortable with that. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. But, but having said that, I, I haven't, I haven't pushed it. I mean, I, I shot a, I shot a deer this year at 350 yards, which is sort of uphill to, well, definitely uphill, which is way outside. So of it's me. not actually 350 if it's uphill. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like it is, but it's gravity yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, gravity. So yeah, so it yeah. was actually probably more. It was, yeah, it was forty-five degrees. That we shouldn't actually even go into that. The, the no. math on that because no. we can go down a rabbit hole. Of exactly what that yeah. means, but, um, but anyways, but but distance. So so what's the, what's the longest shot that you've been comfortable taking? The longest shot that I was comfortable taking was five sixty-six. Well. Um, and I actually missed the first shot, which okay. wasn't, I th and I think at that, like, and the, and the big thing at, at distances of 500 plus with a lot of most uh, rifles, calibers, cartridges, whatever you want to call it, um, is wind, right? And that, oh, yeah. I don't know a ton about that, but from the people that I've talked to that really do, it's a bit of a dark art. Okay. Like, I've, we worked with, what I went down into the shooting course in, um, in Oregon with, with, uh, with three guys who were actually 
you know, like they were scout snipers in the yeah. military and served, served, that was their career. One of the guys continued on to, um, his role was training the, the Marine Corps, uh, scout snipers. Um, and, and he's still very much one of the, one of the more respected people in the, in, in that sort of community, yeah, like yeah. long distance shooting. Um, and that was one thing that he told me is like, Hey, you know, what, what do you think you're comfortable shooting out to after working through this? And we'd shot, you know, we'd shot steel targets at 1300 meters. And I said, you know, for me, I think given a perfect situation, 600 yards and under is, is the most that I would be comfortable with. And I'd shot out to like 450 or 500 before in the past. Uh, and he basically was like, that's, that's kind of the most that I would ever. Yeah. Um, he, and, and we actually watched him shoot a steel target offhand at 1300 meters. Crazy. He hit it on his third try, but still it was like, still it's pretty yeah, remarkable. And, and, but, but there was a person who was fully capable saying like, Hey, 1600, 1600 yards is, or sorry, 600 yards is, is kind of like that, you know, under that, under 500, you're not really dealing with wind issues typically. Uh, outside of 500 yards, everything goes out the window. So. Yeah, yeah. So for me, the furthest, the furthest that I felt like comfortable, and that was like I had a, I had a lot of time. I had the ability to build a prone rest. So I was lying down, you know, I was lying down on my stomach. I had a bipod on the gun. I had a rear bag under the back of the stock. Um, it's clear. It's and just uh, come up for a hello here. So. Yeah, I had, a, I had a rear bag under the back of the stock. I was able to have the time to dry fire. Um, so with no live ammunition in the chamber, I'm closing the bolt and squeezing the trigger and, and working through my breathing cycles, working through my trigger pull, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and even then it's something that I try, I try to avoid that at all costs. Like I will always try to get closer. I think, you know, there, there are some times where it's, that's not really an option. And in my experience, that really only comes down to mountain goats, especially in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's, um, so the part that I, I enjoyed about our conversation, we had this before, like, because I, I was kind of always of the mind that, like, it would, you know, 500 yards seems ridiculous to me. Like, how could they, because, because I, I can, you know, even the, in, at, sorry guys, dog's getting mixed up on the, my mic here. Um, but even uh, at 300 yards at the range, when I'm rested, and I'm, like, calm, and I'm not, like, dealing with the variables of, of shooting at a sheep at mm -hmm. 300 yards, like, I still struggle to get a group of, you know, um, but that I would that'd be comfortable, like you know, replicating under field conditions, right? Um, but the part that I was interested in when you said, like, you know, like you, for one thing, like once you've practiced out at these distances, um, you have a, you have a confidence that you can do it. You've you've created a group at mm -hmm. five hundred yards that you can replicate with if you're given the conditions to do that. So which is arrested position, calm yeah. winds controlled heart rate um and and the part that really makes sense to me like is, is it all of my shooting happens in closer ranges so either i've called an elk in called the moose in or i've snuck up on a whitetail and it's got to happen right now whereas totally different totally different and totally. i didn't really think about this like so yeah. if you're actually just like you snuck up on a goat that goat's not going to go anywhere there for days is actually going to sit on that pedestal, basically, or in yeah. that zone. Rough area, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so you can lay around and get comfortable mm -hmm. for. And when you're at that distance, you have the time. Um, you have the time to to work through that that process, right? And say, you know, for me, if it's a shot that's over 300 yards, it's everything. 
everything has to be kind of lined up in the way that I know, like based around the natural point of aim, right? So um, it, it's you're looking for you're looking for the ability to basically be laying down, um, yeah, to, to, for a shot that distance, like 300 plus. For me, it's got to be laying down. I've yeah. made shots longer than that on targets and stuff, but for hunting, I've got to be laying down prone. Um, I've got to have some kind of a support, a solid support under the front of my rifle. I've got to have, have a solid support under the rear of my rifle. And I've basically got to be able to go through my breathing cycle. And when I hit the bottom of my breath, um, like my natural breath cycle, that I'm rested on the target. So if that means I need to adjust a little bit so that, you know, when I breathe all the way out, then my, like the crosshairs on my scope rise up onto the target. And then that's when I dry fire. And if I can't achieve that, then it's like, hey, this is too far, and you move closer, right? Like I had that with a mule deer yeah, at you know, 600, and then 500, and then 400, and then I got to 319 or 18 or something yeah. like that, and was like, okay, I'm solid here. Yeah. But then I've also had you know goat hunting in the winter, like, hey, 520, I'm solid here. Yeah, so, so you, you can actually get... It's situational. Yeah, totally situational. Yeah. So it's not so much the... I mean, that's what I really learned from that conversation. It's not so much the distance as preparation. It actually, with a bit more distance, you can actually, it gains you a little bit of time, uh, time and yeah. ability to practice and, and essentially dry fire and go through that cycle. Mm -hmm. to and, and you're like, okay, can I live with that result? Can I live with that result as you, as you go through? So I think that's interesting. So I don't think distance is as much of a, the topic here because that I'm kind of interested in getting into some details here um, that are... Maybe more about like, have you ever had a situation where you're like, you've shot and just been completely mystified why the animal hasn't gone down? No. Oh, I've got lots of those. Okay. <laughs> so. I, ha I personally haven't. I've known, and, and I do try and shoot a fair bit. Like I don't shoot, um, I don't shoot a ton, but you know, probably, uh, I don't know, three to 500 rounds a year or something like that. Like I, I try and yeah. practice a fair bit. So I feel like I'm at a place where, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm not the best shot in the world, but I know when I'm not like, yeah. I know I can, yeah. I can call it. Like if I shoot and I'm like, all right, I, I missed that shot. I can tell before I even look at the paper, yeah. um, where I'm at there. Yes. So I ha I've never had that situation. I've had clients have it though. Guiding. Okay. Um, I think of one, one example that I, I it was fairly recently, it was maybe two years ago or last year. I think it might, I don't know, maybe that deer's in the other room now, but um, the, uh, I was white tail hunting. I was actually mule deer hunting, and where we hunt white tail, the mule deer hunt, mule deer hunt, we usually get a couple days at the mule deer hunt before it closes, and then we switch over to white tail. So I was actually mule deer hunting in a bit of a mule deer spot, but I'd snuck up on a, on a, a group of white tail does that were bedded down. And so I was glassing them for a little bit to see if there was a buck with them, and there wasn't, but I figured I'd just kind of hunt hunt around them and see if there was anything else happening. And I snuck a little above them on the ridge, and I was looking down into the kind of the gully they were bedded down in, and I seen that there's another there's another deer feeding through the the bottom of the gully. And I put binoculars on them, and it was a it was a mature white-tailed buck. Mm. And I was like, oh, right on, mature buck. And and I watched him for a bit, and I and I waited for him to kind of come into sort of a spot that I was like shit, that's a good deer, and it's, I should shoot that deer. And so I switched over to my rifle and had a rest there. I was leaning on a tree, so I had a rest, and I put the, um, looked at the scope at him and then waited around to kind of pick up his chest, 
and then I pulled the trigger, and I uh, watched the deer kind of bounce away, and I'm like, right on, dead deer, 100%. That's just like a 70-yard shot. Mm, I think I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, and then, so I, I wait, I, I always wait around half an hour after I shoot something, right? So I wait around, and I walk down there, and I walk down to where I thought the deer should be like laying dead basically or darn near and there's actually snow on the ground too so it's like no trouble tracking so i find his tracks and i I've, I've marked the tree where i shot from with a piece of flagging tape and i get down to where i shot him i actually find where the bullet buried into the tree okay that's cool yeah so i find i'm on my line and there's some hair there like a bunch of hair but it's like long hair and it's kind of piles of hair and it's like it does not look like hair that's been blown off the side of a, of a deer yeah it doesn't look even like grazed off hair it's like like hair that and and when I was thinking about it when I was looking into the scope like he kept like he was like I think he was preening himself like he was okay. like pulling hair off his chest or his right. arms and kind of spitting it out so maybe that's the hair I was looking at anyways there was bullet hole in the tree hair on the ground tra- heavy set of tracks kind of going out of the zone so I'm like hmm weird there should be blood here okay well maybe I'll just, I mean often you shoot things and there's no blood for a way where yeah. ways right and so I start following this set of tracks and like maybe like 20 meters above me on this little ridge, there's a mature white-tailed buck staring at me. And I'm like, well, that's freaking weird. Cause like I've been plodding around and looking at things and like there's a, a white-tailed deer standing at me at like 20 yards mm-hmm. away above me. Like that's strange. I'm like, okay, that's gotta be a hit deer. He's fucked up. Like I've somehow broke him up and he's not that normal. Mm-hmm. But of course, as soon as I make eye contact, like he buggers off. And so I'm thinking in my head, okay, well, that's, that deer is, uh, something's wrong with that deer. That's my deer for sure. So I start, I, I just start running after it. And because I, he actually went down the way that I just hunted up. So I knew exactly the brakes in the train. So I was like, well, shit, I'm just going to run after him, see if I can get him. Mm-hmm. And so I run, run, run down, follow his tracks. I can see in the snow. And, and also I'm thinking at the same time, like, there's no blood on the snow. So like, is this really my deer? And I've got one tag. So I'm a little bit like, Cagey, yeah. yeah, a little bit content. like, but I, and so I actually started running down the hill, and I'm like, no, 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 I gotta go back. There's gotta be the deer's gotta be dead there. So then I go back, and I kind of pick up the tracks again, and I, and I actually follow tracks around, and it's definitely the deer. Mm-hmm. So okay, so it's definitely the same deer. So now I go back on the sprint after this deer, and I go down a couple gullies and up another couple gullies, and I monitor tracks, and which I come down a gully, come up the other side, and I can see him ahead of me on the trail, and he's looking over his shoulder, and I'm I'm winded, right, and I'm, and I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna like try and get a shot off this thing in it, but I'm looking at his ass and the back of his head. But two things about this deer. One is that like I've never seen a white-tailed deer stand there 20 yards from anybody mm-hmm. and stare at you. That's weird. And yeah. I've never been able, I didn't know you could run up behind a white-tailed deer and catch up to him within a kilometer. That's also weird. You usually you can't. No. So I, I go to aim at this thing in the back of its head or in its face actually because he's looking over his shoulder. I mean, I'm like, and I'm like looking at the target and I'm kind of winded. I'm like, I can't make that shot. So I go, I go for, I, I've never done this before, and I, and, and I actually sh- aim for his vitals through his butt. Texas hard shot. I've never done this. And, but Super this, effective. Well, this, in this situation, I, I thought this was reasonable because yeah. I figured this is, a, this is an injured deer, and I, I yeah. want to put him down, right? Um, anyways, I end up, I, I actually, I, he, he, he gets hit, and he tumbles down the <laughs> hill, and I end up getting him. And uh, he didn't have any other holes in him. Just the one, and it was actually a fine shot. I went through his butt and 
blow, blew out one of his lungs and it was an effective yeah. shot, but I lost a little bit of meat on one of, in, in, the, in the loins, but in the stern loins, but, um, but actually not a big deal, but, uh, nonetheless, it was still like just fundamentally for me, it was wrong in mm-hmm. lots of ways, but in the end it was a, a dead deer and it was a beautiful deer and, and actually meat loss was just fine. Um, but yeah, that, that was a weird one for me, but the coming back to actually what I had missed originally. So what was your guess? Why do you think? Brush. I mean? Yeah. Well, for one, whitetail, right? And to me, whitetail, like I grew up in Ontario, grew up hunting deer out of um, tree stands in Ontario on the edge of fields. And then you're usually fields and hardwoods and the hardwoods lots of times in Ontario have been reforested. But either way, there's always slash. And if you talk to anyone who hunts deer from tree stands, they talk about cutting shooting lanes. Yeah. Um, So if you're not hunting them from like a dedicated tree stand on private land that you're in every year, there's a good chance that you're you're slinging shots through the slash. Yeah, yeah. And that's always harder to see in a scope because of compression. Yeah, yeah. So it's exactly it. So I spotted the, like I I knew there was deer in that gully because I'd seen the does there. So Mm -hmm. I was basically glass from the does and I was... I was picking my way across the bottom of the gully with my binoculars looking for potentially deer. And then I eventually sighted on this deer and I watched him through my binoculars and I was like, okay, that's, that's a nice buck. And then I switched straight over to my rifle, which also had, um, it was six power or five power or something yeah. like that. And, and so what I failed to see as a result, I call it compression, but uh, basically the magnification and basically filters out um, anything that you're not focused on. If I'm focused on, the target at 80 yards, it's my, it kind of filters out all the brush between me and that 80 mm-hmm. yard spot. Yeah. Well, and you also have like, you know, the average rifle scope is mounted an inch and a half above your barrel. So you, what you're looking at, you know, what you're looking at through your rifle scope, you might see that you have oh, a clear yeah. shot in the brush and you're looking through just, you know, one little two inch gap. But what you actually need to be looking at is what's an inch and a half below your crosshairs. Oh, yeah. Well, this, this was actually like an entire branch full of, uh, like, I, I couldn't believe it. When I actually went down and I, cause I actually, when I recovered the year, I went back to kind of figure this all out. I thought that was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I, and I actually was like glassing from the, where the bullet was in the tree up to where I shot from, where I left the flagging tape. Yeah. And like, I, could, I couldn't even see the flagging tape. From where the bullet hole yeah. bullet was, like there was so much, um, all the like tree limbs with like old man's beard, like, the lichen hanging off the tree. Oh, like, yeah. It's incredible. Like I was like, how the hell did my scope pick up a clear target of this deer? And when you look at it, like with your naked eye, it's like it's completely covered mm-hmm. from here to there. So like it's 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 something's happened to me a number of times actually. It's like where I've kind of initially shot or initially glassed something up, whether it's a bull elk or a deer, and then switched right over and, and that's been an error for sure here's a just a question in, in in that regard would what if you didn't have a scope what if you had open sights and, and kind of thicker bush would that would that be an option for for yeah. hunting or is it Super always better bites. to have it like you know what i mean if yeah. you're if you're hunting or i think that's probably one of the reasons why that, yeah. that, that, that guy you know that people choose to do that because i think it really opens things up and you can kind of see because mm-hmm. the there's other no, thing there's no scope compression yeah, well, and and I think you. Um, I mean, if because you have a you got a lever gun, right, with the peep sight on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of them, yeah. Um, and and I've shot a bit of like irons, and then also peep sights, and then scopes as well. And I find uh, a larger aperture ghost ring sight, like a peep sight, works the best for me. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that is, it's like a large 
um, or it's actually small, but a small circle on the back of your rifle action uh, that you look through and then you find your front sight on your rifle uh, through that circle. It's called a ghost ring or a peep. But um, but for certainly what you're talking about, like um, in thick brush, in tighter situations, that's often better, I think, because you can you can also keep both eyes open. Yeah. Right, yeah. so you're shooting. You're looking. You're looking through the sight in your. If you're a right hand, if you're right eye dominant, you're looking through with your right eye, but your left eye's open. And if that deer keeps running, uh, you can see it. Right. Whereas, like a you know a six or an eight or ten power magnification scope is useless at fifty yards. Like that's where you want something that's you know three power or less, and ideally just a one power or iron sights. Hmm. And then I think you also get clouded by less, but there's still always the, you know, I think there's there's always the issue when you're shooting through brush. I shot a white-tailed deer last year uh, through brush, and the first shot felt good, but I knew there was so much slash through there that afterwards on the second, like it ran maybe 50 yards and stopped, and I shot it a second time. And my uncle was like, why did you shoot it a second time if the first shot was good? I'm like, I don't know, man, there's just so much slash. Like, I'm not used to shooting through slash, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You know? Yeah. So... Why was your deer running, running funny? Which which one? This, the the white tail deer. This is the the, the weird white tail. Yeah. I have yeah. no idea. He was like he was he was a, he was sick in the head. Like he was a, not a white tail. Like oh, this yeah. this thing was like was I it never. Pre- and it wasn't peak rut. It was, was pre rut. It was probably November seventh or eighth. Okay. So normally they start to get a little funny around the fourteenth where we yeah. hunt. So yeah, it was like seventh, eighth, ninth. I don't know, whatever. Mm. Like I've never seen a white-tailed black. Eye. This is this is like it was like the nicest white-tailed black I've ever shot up up to this year, right? It was a nice deer. Like it was he was an old wily deer, but he just was not all that wily. He was mm. just dumb, or like I don't know. Like I have no idea. Like I have no idea what was what was up with him, but it was mm. totally not typical white-tail behavior. Um, I have to deal with my dog here, so we'll stand by here for misses. Yeah, so we were. I'm just picking it up again here. And so, so we talked about distance and then we're talking about brush now. And I think that this is something that is, it certainly happened to me a number of times where like just underestimating what, what a bullet can do. Like as a kid, I didn't know that bullets couldn't travel through brush without being impacted. Yeah. So like they will deflect off everything, everything, blade of grass, the branch, whatever. And like every, I've gone down the rabbit hole on that quite a bit. Okay. Um, because I would always hear, you know, the old whitetail myths where where guys would push bush with forty four magnum rifle um, or a three hundred eight or something like that, maybe a three fifty eight win versus like a two seventy. Uh, and the, and the theory was is that the wider diameter, heavier, blunter bullet actually bucks brush better, uh, which is basically not true. Oh really? It's, it's yeah. not true. Yeah, like so a it doesn't 30, matter. Like you, a thirty thirty is being like a good a good bush gun. Yeah, well, it because is because it's round. It's, it's know, a good bush it, yeah. gun because it's uh, you know it's light in the hand. It's comfortable to carry. Yeah, and if it comes up yeah. to your shoulder naturally, and you can cycle multiple rounds through it quickly, and you got iron sights, it's a good bush gun. But as far as uh, penetrating through bush, it doesn't matter if you're shooting a two forty three, a two seventy, mm-hmm. a forty four magnum, a three fifty eight Winchester. Um, or a win, oh, 338 wind mag, uh, yeah, they basically, they all deflect. Huh. It doesn't matter. Like, if you're shooting a 240 grain, 44 mag, blunt nose, that's going to deflect just as bad as a 270 going 3,000 feet per second. So, really? Yeah. Huh. Basically, the ideal thing is to not shoot through brush. 
Yeah, this is a lesson I've learned the hard way. Well, and and that, so that's it. So like, I mean, and one of the results of miss is is that you you, you get like I've been in the situation where you like oh man a couple of years ago I was with my cousin Jess and and she had we called in a couple of bulls and she actually it was an awesome experience. She's she's deaf right, so she can't. She actually it was really cool. So so she can't hear them when they're far away, but when they got to within like fifty yards, she's like Dylan. I can hear them. Yeah, that's fucking cool, right? Eh? Because it's that's a high cool. pitch and there's a limited amount of hearing. She has a bit. Anyway, it was so yeah. super cool. And man, this one bull—it's just standing broadside at fifty yards from us and looking right at us. And all we can see is it's like its eyes and its antlers, and the rest thing is covered up by this brush. We're in tough, yeah. tough country, right? And I was just thinking to myself, I was like, and she's like, "Can I shoot it?" And I'm like, "You can't shoot it because we yeah. can't see. Like we can't. There's just nowhere to squeeze a bullet through, right? Yep. I mean, only option would be shooting the eye." Right. And, you know, maybe that would have, I mean, in retrospect, gosh, maybe we should have, I mean, anyways, we made the right call. We didn't, we didn't go for it, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and it was heartbreaking, man, because that would have been like, man, I would love to, that, for that hunt of workout, because it's once in a lifetime to be there with someone that mm-hmm. well, you care about and help them. Yeah. That experience was pretty cool. But, uh, anyways, but you can't, you can't shoot through brush. And, and that's something that I think, you know, happens to a lot of new hunters is that, Inevitably, if you're hunting somewhere, like the, the animal is going to be obscured by brush, and a mm-hmm. good hunter will have to just wait it out and hope that that opportunity presents itself, where it'll you know you'll see it a shooting lane to vitals, right? Yeah, 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 and and being patient. Yeah. And I wonder too yeah. if if that's kind of a unique, um, well, not entirely unique, but but a little bit of a unique place that you're in as opposed to the average uh newer hunter right like when you're talking about you've only really been seriously hunting for what is it's it three my, years now season, yeah. yeah but like how much hunting did you do did, this year a lot of hunting like if you listed the hunts you did on that that you went on this year yeah you know i have i have buddies who like guide and then in their off season they spend three months straight hunting and they don't hunt that much yeah mm-hmm. so you, for one you've been very fortunate i think you made some great connections but also um and, and sort of in, in both of your uh, in cases, and I, and I 100% don't mean this in, in any bad way, but you have age, which generally brings She's wisdom. calling us old, dude. Nah. <laughs> but, well, you're not that much older than me. Like, you no, can't. You can't. Right, but right. also, like, it's not like I'm, you know, there's a lot of people that come out to, um, they come out to. The, you just call me old? Dylan's talking about you know he's been hunting for thirty years and I'm turning thirty in June so kind of <laughs> but uh, no but 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 you have that um, you you have that uh, you have that life experience right to you've you've weathered potentially you've weathered stuff whether it's business or relationships or you've been through difficult situations in in other realms so it's not your first time being like holy shit i mean you know what's happening like yeah mm-hmm. you can kind of you can pull from some well even if it's not the well of like you know missing shots and hunting you can pull from some kind of well and be like hey look like i'm a you know however old i am i've been through all this stuff i've had kids i've done this i've done that i've like Pull, your, pull yourself together in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. And you seem to have that, like you seem to be I, way I, more grounded than the average hunter that, uh, you know, so I, that's you know, 20 years old and, is, and has been hunting for three years. You know something though is, before we did this talk, you're asking me, well, you, you said, I, have, I completely forgot on the hunt this year at Haida Gwaii, I completely missed. I missed a deer at 
at very close with with iron sights. Okay, yeah. And the reason that I missed is because he was standing with um, there was a branch in front of him covering up his vitals. Yeah. And I had him at 40, 50 yards, something like that, and I had a good rest and he knew something was up, but he didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And after about two minutes of waiting, I got impatient. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about calibers. I was shooting the 44, the yeah. 44 mag with the open sights. In my head, I said, I said, you fuck it. it. I'm going to punch it through this bush. I'm yeah. going to punch it right through this tree. Yeah. And lo and behold, yeah, I hit the tree, but the deer, the deer didn't go down. And I end up, I end up losing the animal, right? right. So you know, not having that patience and, and thinking that you can, yeah, you can't put the bullet through a tree and <laughs> it just doesn't work. So, <laughs> so, so the, the movies, it doesn't sound like the yeah. movies. It didn't, it didn't work. Yeah. So that, that was another, I completely, maybe I'd blank that I mean, out, but I'd, it also can work. I shot a white tail through, through a tree right. branch and found the tree branch after yeah. that I'd shot through like a thumb, you know, thumb thickness, like a yeah. one inch tree branch, yeah. but it deviated from chest all the way into the hip and shot through the ball of the hip. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. So, yeah. So that's so I that's, mean, that's and, a and mix. I'd actually already shot it in the chest once, but it ran. That's what I was saying before. I shot a deer, you know, through through slash. It ran another fifty yards, stopped. I shot it the second time. It dropped. My uncle was like, "Well, why did you shoot it the second time?" And I was like, "Well, because we had a conversation the night before about shooting through slash, and how that's basically it's a crapshoot." And I thought I had a good line, but then when the deer ran and then stopped, I was like, "Yeah." yeah. Yeah, for shoot sure. straight or shoot often, right? <laughs> shoot, shoot. Well, I mean, there, there is. I mean, that's. I think that's one of the things. The realities of hunting is that, like, every time you pull the trigger, you have a risk of missing out. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's just the reality, right? And you want to minimize that risk as much as possible. And the truth is, if you don't shoot an animal, it won't die. True. And that, I think that's something we all struggle with. And I, and I have a kind of a relevant story kind of this year that, like, I was with uh, my friend Karen and we were mule deer hunting. And we, we had got put on this spot for my, my friends to you know, get, get into this area and there's this is a good spot. So we, we, well, we hiked in there. And we were in, in a, there's a huge basin that had been nuked, been logged, like, maybe eight years ago. So it's all been regen. So those little Christmas trees maybe eight-year-old Christmas trees all around us. And we're on one side of a valley, and we're looking at the other side of the valley. And about, you know, a kilometer and a half away, I can see this group of deer, and I can see there's a deer there that's, like, remarkably bigger than the rest of the deer. And I put my binocs on it, and it's it's a, it's, it's a mature buck, and it's a mature buck of a, of a stature that I, I, I've only seen... I only, I've only seen one other buck that, that was his body size was big mm. and, and, and head and, and antlers, like, comparable. And so I'm pretty excited, and so I said to Karen, I said, Karen, there's, there's a deer over here. This is also Karen's kind of first mule deer hunt, and I was really hoping that Karen could get a, a chance at a deer, too. So was, that was kind of part of the plan. And now where this deer was situated, he was completely on the other side of the valley. So we had to go down a logging slash to the bottom of the valley and then up the other side. So we had kind of no cover to work with mm-hmm. to, in order to get close to this deer, and, of course, if we got down to it, then we'd be climbing up on it and climbing up below an animal. Is, Thermals. Yeah, just about impossible. Well, just, just impossible yeah. as far as they're just, that's what they do. That's why they're there. They're looking down. 
and there's no really way to kind of work up from, around from either of the edges. So the only way to go was just to go bomb straight down and get to the bottom of this valley where there was a few mature trees still, and we got a bit of cover and look at this deer, and we'll think a plan from there. So we bombed down, and as we're getting down, like uh, I, there was a there was a spot where I could. Uh, I was still on my side of the valley, and I was looking across the valley, and I put the binoculars and the rangefinder on the deer, and it was 400 yards. And I was standing next to a Christmas tree with a solid rest, and I was like, I could probably make this shot. You know, and, like, he's standing there broadside hanging out with the stoves, like, no problem, right? Like, he wasn't going anywhere, right? So I thought about it, I was like, no, fuck it, I can't, I just, I've just never, never practiced it at 400 yards, I can't take that shot. So we buggered down to the bottom of the, the valley, and we, we, once we got to the bottom of the valley, um, all of a sudden we couldn't see the deer anymore. Neither we, the, the, the angle of the, where they were sitting was different, or they just buggered out, I'm not sure. And, and so I said to Karen, I was like, okay, well, our, you know, we'll, we'll hang out here for a bit, see if they just show up. But and if they do show up, then, you know, maybe we could, you know, if they don't show up, maybe we'll just sneak up there together and maybe we'll, we'll get close on them and get lucky. If they do show up, then we'll, we'll have a 300-yard shot at whatever's here. And, and uh, anyway, so we, we're, we're, we're waiting, and sure enough, we see the buck steps out and he comes into a kind of an open area of the slash and he's now 325 yards from us and but he's straight uphill on an angle mm. and that for me that's quite that's quite steep and 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 I, I actually have never shot at 325 yards on a 45 degree angle above I have no idea what the bullet's going to do all I know is that 350 yards isn't as far as the range finder just says it's 350 the range finder says it's 350 yards away it's actually not 350 yards of bullet drop it's actually less than that it's actually mm-hmm. probably 200 yards of actual gravity distance of gravity between me and that deer yeah so i have a rest and uh oh that's well, part of the story that i should i was actually going to tell before that was that as i got to the bottom of that valley and the deer wasn't there i was saying to myself i was like you've should have taken that shot at 400 yards Mm -hmm. like you never you'll never like you've hunted your entire life and never seen a mule deer like that like you know you 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 should have just gone for it i mean maybe you maybe you get it maybe you don't and and i was and i was kicking myself for not taking that shot because i don't know when the next time i'm going to see a deer of this caliber at that range right um and and I was kind of kicking myself about it, and, and then and just as I was kicking myself, talking about the deer stepped out again at 300, which is more a comfortable zone. So now there he is. I've got him at 225. I've got a rest, a tree, and I put the crosshairs on his chest. And I did exactly what you're talking about. Like, how stable am I when I shoot? So I was practicing how stable I was. And I was mm-hmm. super stable on my shot. So I put the crosshairs dead center on his chest, thinking that, if it's two, if it's actually two hundred yards of bullet drop, that I should be able to hold it right on and get him. Mm-hmm. And I shot, and nothing happened. He didn't react. Nothing. So I'm like, oh. So I cycle another bullet in and put the crosshairs on the top of his back, and pull this trigger. Nothing happens. I'm like he still hasn't moved. So I'm like, shit. Now I'm committed. I feel committed, and I'm kind of going to panic now. So I pull another another cycle, sure, yeah, and I there. put it above his back, a couple a couple inches of clear, 
and I pull the trigger and I could see him do a bit of a spin and run a little bit. And I know right away that it's not a hard, it's not the right hit. It's not yeah. a hard hit. I hit him, but it's not a good hit. Yeah. Oh, fuck. And at that you, point. I'm sorry, what are, you, what are you shooting for caliber? This is a, uh, my 708. 708, okay. Mm. Anyways, regardless, I'm like, okay, well, like, I know I hit him, so that's good. And the snow everywhere, I could see everywhere that he could have. The, the best news was is that I could see like, you know, 500 meters in every direction of him, and he didn't run off this hill yeah. that I was looking at, so that's good. So I end up, uh, uh, we hang in there for half an hour and then we kind of make a plan, like Karen's going to hang at the bottom, I'm going to climb up and find his track and walk on you know, his track and find where he was shot. I find where he was shot, and there's a little, there's a little bit of hair there, and it's a, uh, this had been brushed off the bottom of his chest. It looks like is what, I, what, I'm, what I'm gathering, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, graze the bottom. I'm like I've seen this before. This is no good. That sucks. And I've got my head down, and I walk the three more steps. And there's one tiny little blob of blood. I'm like, oh shit. Okay, he's leaking. It's a bad hit. Mm-hmm. It's not like, and uh, and I, I kind of sense something. I look up, and he he just bedded down about like maybe 20 yards from where I shot him. Mm-hmm. He jumped up and started running downhill. And now I'm in my comfort zone because I've, I've hunted whitetails my whole life. So I just like react and shoot Swing him. And yeah, shoot him, hit him in the back of the head, goes down, he's dead. I'm like, thank God. Um, um, but that was, for me, like I didn't, I didn't, uh, I kind of got that conversation with myself around like, oh, you're going to regret not trying to shoot this animal. Mm. And and then that's what kind of prompted me to take this next shot, and and I probably should have stopped shooting after the second shot. I was like, okay, well, clearly, like the first shot was, I felt really good about it, and it just didn't work. So I obviously my math, my range finding, the angle, yeah, that this the rifle that sighted in, whatever, one of these factors isn't working because I didn't really feel like. It was me because I felt like I was really solid mm-hmm. on the shot, and especially after the second shot, I was like, "Okay, I'm still solid here." Like, so there's a one of the factors here isn't working out, and it's, my math is not working out, which is mm-hmm. what you talk about. Like, it's just math after a certain point, right? And if the math is right, yeah, for you sure, should, I should go down. Ballistic calculator, and I, you know, for my, well, like there's, I have three hunting rifles, and and all three of them, I will shoot them over a chronograph so that I'll take a. Um, I'll take the muzzle velocity off of a 10-shot average Yeah. Um, using whatever ammunition I'm using. I'll take the muzzle velocity off a 10-shot average and then plug in the ballistic coefficient, which is basically a numerical value attributed to the drag of a bullet. Yeah. Um, and then basically take that and then your general atmospheric pressure, your elevation, all that kind of stuff, and plug it into a calculator and it will print out you know, an entire drop sheet, and I keep one of those, like my one rifle, I have it taped to the stock, the other one I have it in the rifle case. Um, awesome. I did, yeah. all, I so did, all, I just, for, yeah. I did yeah. all that for this mule deer shot too, yeah. But, but it's different. It's, it's kind of <laughs> one of those things, it's like, hey, if I'm going, like, for example, in February, I'll be going again. This will be my fourth year hunting mountain goats in February, um, and I just, like, I've been, I've done it enough to know that there's a high probability of a, you know, a 400 plus yard shot. Like in my mind, kind of 400 to 500 yards is super high. And it's the one I shot last year, which was uh, 520, but the angle corrected it to 450 uh, because it was a significant uphill angle. 
in that case, there was literally nowhere else. Like it was on a cliff face. There was yeah. nowhere else. You couldn't. You would have just had to wait it out for days until it went somewhere else. And I was like, hey, I've practiced with this gun and and blah blah blah. But to my mind, I'm like, if I'm going to invest the time to take you know ten days off to drive all the way up north to yeah. to have other people on this hunt with me here to pack with me and stuff like, you know, I need to be. I need to be proficient to a, to a range that I feel is reasonable, and for me, that's sub six hundred yards. Yeah, okay. I think I think anything outside of that, like you really, you don't need to just know your stuff. You really like, you need to. It's, that, that's like dark art stuff where you're. Yeah. Yeah, I I know very few people who have any business shooting past that. Yeah, myself so, included. So so I like I like I like where we're kind of we're gonna wrap things up here, and I think this is kind of where probably the best teaching pointer and then something that I want to work on and it kind of you've inspired me to, to do this Nolan it's kind of like you know you really got to practice real real hunting shooting situations mm-hmm. so so like I mean when my reference point like so if I put like three shots you know in a, in a you know a five inch group at 100 yards or sorry at 300 yards at the range like that's not that doesn't help me understand how how I can shoot a mule deer. But it depends on how you're shooting. Yeah. If you're shooting, if you're shooting off your knee, I mean, and I did one of your, you invited me along to to work on one of your eat wild oh, yeah, shooting yeah. courses. Yeah. Um, and and that's a perfect example, right? Like you showed everyone that hey, this is what you shoot like off a bench, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then hey, sit down on one, get down on one knee and have one knee up and. And shoot off your knee, and then see if you can hit this target at all. And it was kind of an eye opener for a lot of people, and myself included. Like I try and practice that because I know that, you know, I know that if I'm sitting at a bench and I have a bipod and a backrest, like yeah, I've got a, you know, my rifle is capable of stacking bullets on top of bullets, you know, yeah. way like at way outside of what I'm able to do with it. Um, yeah, and sure. almost everyone's guns are these days. So yeah, absolutely. So. So the piece though is like that I've never done is like gone out to, uh, gone out to the field to practice shooting uphill at three hundred yards or downhill at three hundred, which is yeah. which is what I'm going to run into. If I, I mean I, I've been sheep hunting for ten years now, or yeah. not, not quite ten years, but I mean I, I've been on probably four dedicated sheep hunts, and I've never practiced shooting uphill. It's or not downhill. usually super flat. No, yeah. no, and it's not. I mean, this yeah. is what like and, a, and long shots. Yeah, and long right? shots, that, right? Long, long shots. Longer, longer, longer shots. Yeah, yeah. And you're not, yeah. you're not, yeah. you're not, you know. I, I still for think, tails, right? It's and I've had a bunch of. Um, I, we get a lot of clients with like Gunworks Red Rock Precision. Yeah, you know, ten thousand dollar plus custom rifles, um, and they're awesome. They really are, but you still have to know what you're doing behind it, right? If I step into a Ferrari. I'm not Mario Andretti, right? If I if I walked into a professional kitchen, I can't cook like you. It's just like just because you have the tools doesn't mean you can actually. You got do a it. really nice you, frying pan and a good knife. You can cook by Mark. Doesn't mean shit. <laughs> I mean, maybe in that vein, maybe you shouldn't even shoot at really far ranges, you know, unless you've done the practice. And, uh, and, and done but the that's what I'm getting and at, done right? The, is, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's something kind of circling back. I think that's something practice that, from my conversations with you, Dylan. That's something that I've extracted from that is you're someone who knows your practical limits mm-hmm. and that's more important than anything. And the same for you, Mark, when we were hunting and we were talking about those goats mm. and I said, Hey, what are you comfortable with? And, uh, you know, Adam was like, Oh, it'd be awesome if you used Nolan's guns, gun works for this. And, and, and my, f- my first feeling is like, 
use what you know, right? Mm. There's nothing worse than when I have a client that comes into my camp for a sheep hunt and they've just spent a ton of money on it and I'm like, hey, what are you shooting? And they're like, well, I just got this new gun, I just got this new, you know, rifle and it's like, it's this custom sheep build and I just got it two weeks beforehand so I haven't put a ton, a ton of time behind it. I, and, you know, for me, I'm like, dude, I'd rather you show up with a 30-30 that you've used for, you know, life, 50 yeah. years yeah. and you tell me, it needs to be 150 yards, but everything in 150 yards I can kill. Yeah, that matters to me more than you know some whiz bang rifle that could, says it can do a thousand yards, but you don't know it. Still the operator, man. It's all about yeah. the operator. I mean, yeah. missing missing deer, and this is sort of you know wrap this podcast up a little bit. It is about it's all operator error. I mean, for sure. I mean, there's no. I mean that it. it the the equipment that we have, the rifles that we can go out and buy, and the scopes we can buy. Yeah. I mean, all of them can shoot deer. At 500 yards, over all day long, if if we were, if there was a machine behind them, 100. Like that, that, that's, totally. that's not the question here. I mean, it's all about your the the you and your emotional state, which we talked about off the bat, like calming yourself down, and it's all and then it's about good decision making after that. Like, is this animal in a range that you are physically capable of shooting, and then following that, is this is there a clear ethical shot at this animal, and can you wait it out and wait for that open shot at yeah. the animal? But, I mean, and I think the interesting thing, sorry, you go. Well, no, I was just going to say that, well, if, you know, if I wanted to get that real world experience of, of and so I can do the practicing, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, where, where can you go and what are the options for doing that? You know, especially if you live somewhere in the city. Yeah. yeah. Um, I you think know, you, you were talking about a range that you went to just recently, you know, before we were doing this, yeah. where you can practice the prone shots, you can practice the 500 well, yard well, shots, the, right? The, the first thing, and we'll go to this next, uh, Nolan's example first, but, um, the first piece is practicing. Like at any range you go to, you can practice kneeling shots. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most ranges you can, you can practice shooting off a ski pole, which is what I mostly do now. As I shoot, I have I, I walk with the ski pole mm -hmm. all the time, and I I use that as my primary rest. You, there's usually like a um, there there often are posts that you can shoot off of to replicate shooting off trees. Like yeah. I would say, like replicate all of those real life. Bring your backpack in. Like lay your backpack down, shoot totally. off it. Like, like, like all those things are something you can do yeah. at a range, and just practice that mm -hmm. and get comfortable with that. That's number one, and like, and then. But I really like what you're talking about, where you're kind of facilitating real terrain shooting, like where you're shooting downhill or shooting uphill. Yeah, I, I will say the caveat to that is like you really have to. Um, you really have to do your due diligence around knowing exactly where you're shooting. Like if you're out, you know, in the case of if I was out on a logging road practicing yeah. somewhere, I need to know every single logging road in that vicinity that comes into that valley and leaves that valley and how, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in my case, I pick access points where if I'm shooting across a valley and there's a logging road on the other side, that the access point is only from where I've been and that I've been already camping in there and that I know that there's no chance that there's going to be someone driving or hiking or walking or whatever. And, you know, you, you really safe. do have to, yeah, you got to be super safe. You can't just be lighting off air and shots everywhere. Yeah. And even if they're in a safe place, you have to, I, you know, you got to be aware that, that uh, especially in British Columbia, the majority of the province is a multi-use multi yeah. place and you have to, you got to make it, you don't want other people feeling unsafe around hunters, right? Like, we face enough BS stigma. Well, you ever been on Chilliwack Road? No. Out that way, yeah. Yeah. We've actually, recently, the regs have changed it to, 
you can't shoot within 400 meters. Oh, of the number yeah, of and, and exactly, stuff like that. It's, it's like, you know, yeah. use, use common sense and be like, hey, you know, this is a multi-use area. There's mountain bikers. Does it make them unsafe because I'm here shooting my SKS at a bank? Like, of course it does. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, but, uh, but, but, yeah, that's something that I try and... I try and do, and especially if I'm hunting, especially if I'm hunting in areas that are uh, more wide open, yeah. and you can see, like, hey, look, if you can see a kilometer or two kilometers or three kilometers yeah. all around, you don't you, you don't see any animal, and if you're somewhere remote, like, it doesn't hurt to take a crack at a rock at 700 yards. That's crazy. Which yeah. is still too far to, in yeah, my but, opinion. But if you can do it under those yeah. field conditions, it's kind of good to know, and then it's sort of fun too. One of the uh, one of the spots I like to. Mueller hunt. I ran into a group of guys, and they, and they actually plan a trip in the same area in in the spring and summer um, before the hunting season, just just to go and recreate, hang out. Like, yeah. and and their primary goal is to practice shooting at long ranges yeah. under different field conditions. So shooting uphill, shooting downhill, mm-hmm. dealing with crosswinds, that type of thing. And they and they just that's what they do. And yeah. they just goof around and get really comfortable there. And it just happens to be the same place that they hunt mule deer in the fall. So they feel even more ethical about you know, the shots they choose to take. So yeah. it's kind of cool. And then if you do have those, like, you know, you know, it's interesting. Like I've, like I said there, I shot two goats in the last two years that uh, both were over 500 yards. But when you were saying, you know, you had that deer coming and it was like close range and you're like, hey, that's my wheelhouse, shot it in the back of the head. That's a shot for me I haven't taken and I would never take because I don't feel confident doing it. Like that's not my... yeah. Yeah. Like I've I've spent a lot more time in in ranges where it's like okay maybe it's further but range is just a number and I know all the math um, and I have the time to work through this process and say like is it ethical yes no whereas like close range shots I'm not as versed in just because that's not my experience whereas you know my uncle and his buddies that hunt whitetail those guys could you know snap shoot a running deer at 50 yards like it's no problem. Yeah. So it's it's always kind it's of what one you get of used those. To, right? yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's what you train for, what you get used to. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm committed this year um, to doing some more longer range shooting. Mm. So um, and I think it's something that I want to get more comfortable with, particularly after this mule deer experience, shooting uphill and downhill, and just seeing how my rifles that I respond to that. And, yeah. Mm. And you know, and and just an ongoing commitment to like you know managing my excitement as a hunter and finding like it's yeah always a battle yeah totally finding that mindfulness approach to shooting and something that yeah so it's been fun hanging out with you guys this is a great topic like it's something that no one talks about I don't think like fuck ups and, <laughs> and misses and I've got lots more I could fill up several podcasts with me too with screw ups so and uh, I mean as much as I, I think I learn from him every year I still like I like to think that I, I like to think I learn from him but Gosh, like, I do have a lot of respect. Like, my my hunting men- mentor, Jeff, has a couple of approaches that, like, that I really respect. And, and one is he's he's got a, uh, all his rifles have a four-power Leopold on them. So A fixed four. Fixed four. Nice. Right? So he says when he looks at an animal, one, one thing is that, like, everything looks the same through a four-power Leopold scope. After a while, they all look the Consistency. same. So, like, he looks at it through a four-power Leopold scope. He knows he can hit it or not. Because yeah. it's it's like can I can I throw a snowball that far or can I throw a baseball over there? Like you know how far you can throw a baseball. Yeah. Same thing, and you can know how you can react to a deer at whatever distance to that four power. So range is never an issue for him. And then 
he just won't shoot nothing over 150 yards. And this guy has killed more animals than oh, yeah. any guy in British Columbia, guaranteed. Yeah. Like he's this is a very efficient hunter since he was 12 years old and certainly fed his family with you know no doubt lots of deer and elk and moose over the years. Like, and I just respect that. It's like I just he just doesn't do it. Like yep. elk, open open country elk over 150 yards. Ah, it looks too small in the mm. four power. I'll get one a mortal closer. Yeah, and and he does, and he's managed to feed his family for, you know, he's probably sixty eight years old now, and been doing it for a long time. So, there's there's something to just being super comfortable and confident it's going to work out, and there will be that shooting opportunity well within range where you're comfortable. And I, I respect that a lot, and I'm I'm trying to work towards that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I really like the input about just getting into realistic shooting situations and practicing there and. And uh, ultimately, like I think the the main thing is just practicing. And I, hmm. well, I mean the inv- the investment that you're putting into some of these hunts in terms of time and effort and energy and planning, mm-hmm. you know, into that goes into a sheep hunt, and then at the end of it, you get a you get an opportunity, you know, if you've put if you if you but if you haven't put in the work on the shooting end, and then all and then it kind of falls apart at the end. That would yeah, and, like, and I always hell? feel like that's the right? easiest. So right? that's something you yeah. actually have control over. There's a ton of stuff in your sheep hunt or whatever, but the one thing that I mean, it goes for practice and anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, but you, that's you something can that's control easy. Control the shooting, like to a certain degree. Almost everybody. I'm I'm just speaking purely to Canada, but almost anyone in Canada has access to either a range, some crown land or, or crown or land crown that's land. saved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's safe to shoot, right? Yeah. Um, so for my like, just exactly like Mark said, right? If you're going on a sheep hunt, like say you're going yeah. on a you're going to sheep hunt in Region Six in British Columbia, and you're gonna drive up the or you're gonna fly into Whitehorse or Watson Lake, and then you're gonna charter, you know, you've got a couple grand invested into it, which relatively for sheep hunting in North America is super cheap, right? Like our clients pay. 52 over 52,000 US for a two week sheep hunt, yeah. whereas we might pay 2,500 bucks or something like that. But yeah, if you're balling, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the, but the cheapest part of that and the easiest part is like practicing with your gun, right? Yeah, being proficient and just spending the time behind it and saying, like, hey, if I get presented at if I get presented a shot at 350 yards, I want to be able to maximize on that opportunity. Yeah. So if, if on a sheep hunt, then what what would you from from your experience would be the the an average range that you'd be need to be able to shoot at, you know, to give yourself sort of the number of opportunities that present themselves. You have to be able to. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I cool. think from my experience and all of the like guys that I guide with, um, that that have that have got way more experience than me, like a decade or more than a decade into it, uh, I. My my kind of information sources and, and my own in, information has has told me that anything plus five hundred yards, your your likelihood of making that shot is less than twenty five percent. Like but, you, but you need to be good out to three fifty. Yeah, or, I mean, if like if if I have a client that tells me three fifty, yeah. I'm like, great, you can shoot. If I have a client that tells me two hundred, I'm like, you probably really know what you can shoot. If I have a client that tells me six hundred plus. I usually think like, okay, we're getting to like 200. <laughs> we're shooting under 200. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if I have a guy that comes into camp and says, I want to be under 300 yards, I'm like, this dude knows his gun or this this lady, uh, but like they know their gun. They know exactly where it hits and they want to keep it at a range that they feel is is manageable. Whereas when you have the person who comes into camp and says, I can shoot, you know, 
I can bullseye a Copenhagen 10 at 650 every time, you're like, all right, we're getting to 100, bud. <laughs> like, that's, that's just usually the way it goes. Yeah, it's funny how but. that works. It's a reality. Well, it was definitely a lesson this year for me. Like, um, the, uh, the deer here, this mule deer that's on the wall above us, like, it, it's, it, I, I would have really, like, it would, I mean, we didn't even talk about, mi- we talked about missing a little bit. We where, didn't talk about Where did you hit him? Where did you hit him? This guy, I, I got him um, right through both elbows on the third shot. Mm. Huh? So he wasn't interested in walking too far, but it yeah. wasn't it wasn't going to kill him. Yeah. It wasn't going to bleed him out. Yeah. It was just going to, oh. so so when he started trying to run downhill, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, having her. Yeah. Um, and then, so that, that was, you know, it was difficult, man. Like, mm. I, and, and, and like, had I been, I mean, because I had the time, you know, like, like they, they, you have the gift of time when you have distance, right? And had I had the time and the knowledge to know exactly how that bullet would perform shooting uphill at 325 yards, but that should have been a dead deer on the first shot. And, and that's something I, I, I'm committed to figuring out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and hearing from you, like, you know, you, you said, you, how, many, how many bullets you put through your rifle at the range there when you guys went you some ridiculous mm, amount? Like, on the first, I think I shot... Somewhere between ninety and ninety-five rounds, something like that. Incredible! Like so, yeah. so like like I haven't shot ninety rounds through my rifle in five years. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I just don't. But how many hours have you in. spent through binos? Oh, gazillions! But yeah, but 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 yeah, that's just it. Like I, I hunt tons. Like okay, ideally, I when I will shoot my three hundred, I like to shoot it once so that I know it's shooting that's on three hundred. Yeah, I know. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Real nice, but I, I do like shooting yeah. my three my seven oh eights a lot more, but. I just don't. I mean, I, I go. I'll shoot a you know, a box a year. Yeah. Through through my seven oh eight, and that's just not enough. I mean, it's not enough to like. That's just enough to make sure that I can get a group at three hundred. Yeah. That's not enough to check if I can do a group, at you know, with elevation gain or, or whatever. Like yeah. I, that, that that's interesting to me. So I'm I'm committed to doing that. So I appreciate something I've taken from you, Nolan, in, in this conversation is that creating real life situations and yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So. Have any closing thoughts, guys, before we wrap up? We got a halibut to eat and some more uh, salmon tartare to eat. No, I mean, just for me, just the, only, the main thing that's helped me is practicing. And like you say, practicing in the real world situations. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah, that's, that's, you can't beat that. Yeah. 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 So we're going bear hunting in the spring. And I like that's another thought you had. Just like, you know, if you're bear hunting in the spring, like you're. There's, it's good time to practice. Yeah, there's productivity yeah. time, right? Like there's. Yeah. Time, yeah. And, and it's like. It's tough sometimes to be like, hey, I'm going to buy, um, you know, and, and I just want to preface it by saying I realize not everyone has the same, you know, not everyone has the same budget. Not everyone can can afford to do certain things, go on certain hunts, spend certain money yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on stuff. Yeah. But most rifles these days, you know, if you buy a Savage Axis for 450 bucks as a kit, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've owned a couple of them. They shoot super great. Yeah. But I usually try and buy four to five boxes of ammo at a time. I don't do that very much. But when I do, I'm just like, hey, I'm going to, you know, maybe you set aside X amount of money per month, buy five boxes of ammo, and then commit that like, hey, I'll set one aside for hunting for the year, the other four purely for shooting. Or whatever that whatever that amount is. Yeah. Um, but just you got to commit to being like, hey, if I want to become proficient at this part of my craft, I have to spend time. And it doesn't have to be expensive ammo. Um, mm. but yeah, yeah, you just gotta, you gotta put the time behind it and then, 
It's a serious business, right? As well. Yeah. yeah. It's also yeah. like it's taking life, which to which to yeah. me, even as a guide, like sometimes it's easy to become. You know, you 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 do it a lot, and then it can become kind of, um, you know, you you become slightly numb to it. But even then, like you, that's that's the most serious act I think of hunting. Right. It's yeah. like of all the thousands of dollars we spend on, you know, gas and flights and and gear and whatever else, it's like. Spend a few extra hundred on ammo. Totally. Get proficient. Get proficient. And, and I, yeah. I I think that's a really good message for me to hear. Just like, like, you know, I do a ton of adventure hunting. And like, and I put my, and I've invested a lot in sheep hunts. And, and like, God, like, wouldn't it just be terrible to like get all the way out there and then there's your, sh- there's your sheep at 300 yards and like, and you can't make the shot. And you blow it. And, and not that's even my, that. That is literally my nightmare. Yeah. Like, it's just like, <laughs> of any like, hunt. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just like to be able to go like, you know, have the confidence say, hey, I, I've done that a million times. I know I can do that. And if it doesn't work out, then, okay, some other weird factor happened that I that's outside of my control. And I think I the important thing fault, right? there to say, too, is not just I know that I can do it, but is knowing when you can't. Yeah. That's the more important yeah. thing is saying, like, being able to get behind your rifle and look through the scope and, you know, and you know all the math and everything and say, I can't do this. It's not right. Yeah. yeah. Which is hard. Uh, and when you put the work part. in, then you're going to be able to make the ethical shot. Yeah. When you get the chance. Cool, guys. Well, this is fun. Um, hey, so, Mark, if people want to check, check in on you on Instagram, how can they find you? Uh, on Instagram, uh, it's the Chef Who Hunts. So I do other stuff as well, but that's that's what I do on Instagram. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. and you can, yeah, I'm always, I mean, we've done t- lots of cool adventures this past year. So hopefully there's going to be some more coming up, more Hunting and eating and, and cooking out in the bush is, yeah. is what I like to do. So. Totally. So we'll yeah. be doing uh, Wild Feast this year. I think May 7th we're going to cook up a meal for yeah. 100 people or so. People will be able to find tickets here in a month or two. Yeah, yeah. maybe do some, uh, like we say, go bear hunting in the spring and do some do some cooking on the beach. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to film that. Be excited about. Yeah, that'll be fun. Nice. Yeah. And then Nolan, how can people find you? Uh, at NMO. I don't really like do a ton on Instagram, but... It's mostly just kind of some skiing stuff and the odd hunting picture, but and you do a ton of writing in the journal of mountain hunting. Yeah, yeah, I do a fair amount of stuff in the journal of mountain hunting. So there's some writing there, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll actually have a film uh, film series coming out in January around the elk hunt that, uh, that Mark and I were on. Nice. Yeah. So. Cool. Okay, well, exciting, exciting uh, year ahead, and uh, thanks guys for doing this. Let's uh, eat some halibut and uh, finish up that salmon tartare. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. It's awesome. Thanks, Tom. Yeah.